0: Rebecca Costa, and I'm a technology and science futurist and sociobiologist. And on today's program, we're gonna be talking about the long tail repercussions of COVID-19, as well as how AI and machine learning can help us
1: to predict when these threats are coming. Welcome back to this next part of this delicious series of Curiosity Bites with my special guest, Rebecca Costa. Now, before we go any further, I want Rebecca to tell you where you can find out more about her or books and the work that she's doing. Because as you found out, this is a pretty amazing woman who's done outstanding research. She is a scientist. She's a researcher. Um, her work has been featured in every possible outlet you can imagine where people who want to think and understand are going. Um, and when I originally spoke to her, and we talked about her first book, which was The Watchman's Rattle. Um, she said that the publisher asked her how many she thought she would sell. And she said um that she thought most of the people in her family would buy it. And the book is now in God knows how many publications. So Rebecca, please tell us where tell our audience where they can find out more about you, about the books and all your wonderful resources.
0: Well, it's very easy. They can just type in Rebecca Costa, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-C-O-S-T-A, and it'll take them immediately to our website they can register for a free newsletter. There's lots of video content on there and we'll be starting a podcast in a few months. And I think they'd be interested to hearing from experts who don't have a stage uh, right now and aren't seeking fame uh, but have uh, you know decades and decades of uh, experience in, uh, in their
1: field. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And I, I want to encourage you, dear listener, dear viewer, to make sure that you do go check out Rebecca's books. You can find them on Amazon or wherever you bookstores you go to. Um, and, and just watch her videos and see the depth of knowledge here, the 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 dedication and the commitment to understanding what moves our societies forward and what takes us to the brink of collapse and how we can actually not go there. So let's let's get into this fourth part with talking about AI, predictive analytics, and the fact that we are a reactive society, we build laws and things around about being reactive rather than being proactive, and that the expansion of that is that some people will throw their hands in the air and go, it's too complicated, so I'm just going to let them do it, and we, we don't bother to discern. Or we go the other way. And, you know, uh, we just, we say, okay, um, you know, let, let's, let's not trust anything in that. So walk us through a little bit about that, because I know you're very well researched there, and what it is that we can actually begin to grasp.
0: Well, uh, the the term futurist was put upon me. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't something that I named myself. Um, and I think that what people were wondering is why I was able to make certain predictions that certain scientific discoveries or technologies would enter mainstream life. And the reason for that is because uh, we are amassing so much data that you know if you have a hundred numbers you might be able to predict what the 101st number is, but when you have billions and billions of numbers, it's not that hard to predict what the next number is going to be. So, right. by looking at predictive analytics, I'm able to sort of uh, make really, really successful guesses at what might be coming next. Um, and, you know, it, Ray Kurzweil, the the great futurist, has often talked about the man-machine meld, which is yeah. what we're in the middle of right now, because, the complexity of the data that we would have to analyze to be able to make decisions on a day in and day out basis is far above the pay grade of the human brain. Mm -hmm. So we're getting more and more dependent on machines, which is a natural thing to do. And I tell people, uh, it's very interesting that when the GOES satellites were launched uh, uh, just about a year ago, I, I threw a party because I'm a science nerd and I was very excited about it because I knew that, three times the weather data was going to translate into multiples uh, more accurate weather. And sure enough, 12 months after we launched the satellite, I had my cell phone out and I got pinged and it said rain in three minutes. And I I was astounded. I, I almost started crying because I thought, when would we have ever predicted that you could pick up a device and it would say rain in three minutes. And I clocked it and it was almost three minutes to the minute. I mean, mean, it was amazing. And I realized that had I gone outside and run into my neighbor and he had said, you know, you might wanna put a jacket on. I think it's gonna rain. And I had walked inside and said, Alexa, what's the weather gonna be like? And Alexa said, "Uh, rain in four and a half hours. I would have gone outside without the jacket, and that was a profound moment for me because I realized that I was trusting a smart speaker more than my neighbor, who I've known for 20 years. Right. So this trust has now begun to shift
1: That's toward
0: a- machines yes. that have more accurate data, right? And and uh, and the data is immediate. It's not, I'll go look that up for you, or I'll I'll find that out. And and this is a a, a phenomenal transition humanity is going through. We're trusting smart speakers, uh, watches, uh, digital devices to connect us with other people. I had mentioned before, I don't remember any phone numbers. No. I don't even know the phone number to my brother or my children because they change phone numbers and so on and so forth. They're all in my smartphone. I don't know any email addresses. They're all in my computer. Um, So that whole, uh, um, if you will, uh, subcontracting, the part that our brains can't keep up with anymore to machines has already begun. And this is a good thing. And I will tell you why as a futurist, because our brains are designed to look at things in a linear way. This is what evolution has brought us to. Doesn't matter that we need to think exponentially. We still think in a linear way. And the example I often give students is that, that just imagine for a moment that there was a pond and in the pond, there was one uh, lily pad. And every day, the number of lily pads was going to double. So let's pretend that on day 36, the pond would be covered with lily pads and it's going to be an an ecological disaster, right? Mm -hmm. There won't be as much oxygen for the fish and it's going to go into a meltdown. So if on day one, there's one lily pad and on day 36, it's an ecological disaster, on what day? is the pond half full of lily pads. Mm-hmm. And our brains go 36 divided by two is 18. So on day 18, the pond is half full of lily pads. Right. I have 18 days to fix the problem. But the truth is, if it's doubling every day, the pond is half full on day 35, and on day 36, you have an ecological meltdown. Mm. You have 24 hours, not 18 days to solve the problem. Our brains think we have 18 days to solve Corona our 19. Our brains think we have years to solve climate change. Our brains think we have years to respond to drought, right? But the fact is, when a problem is exponentiating, we still think in terms of linear solutions. And this is where models, AI models, are able to give us more of the truth than our brains can. We need to believe in what computers are telling us and what they're modeling based on billions and billions of data points, and not so much what our gut tells us, what our what our own analysis tells us, we need to be able to go and look at my cell phone and say, "Rain in three minutes, I should take a jacket with me." right. And this is what this is the great transition humanity is going through.
1: So I get that that we are entering the time of the augmented men. I mean, we've we entered that over a hundred years ago with, something called glasses right wearing glasses augmented our vision um you know uh, and that has obviously grown exponentially and continues to do so but when we get to the place of decisions um, and we know that as you just said that linear linear solutions are often false solutions uh, because they don't take into in, into consideration the complexities of uh, even of a something like a compound interest on something, not as That's compound right. interest in money, but a compound compound interest. We don't
0: understand something. compound interest.
1: No, exactly. It's too complex, right? And so, you know, um, we you know we in we we bring a uh, a species into an area to kill a vermin, and then we discover that the species we brought in have become the vermin. That's another example of we just don't pay attention to the bigger picture of things but i i want to know from you in your research in the work how do we get people to understand that because that's that's vitally important when at the same time they're going i don't trust the machines i don't and i understand that i don't trust the machines um i trust other human beings how do you get them to to grasp the there's almost like a um an innate mistrust of the machine there's an innate you know we've watched all the sci-fi machine uh movies where the machine becomes this malevolent malevolent force how, how where is the line that we go we're still running it because we know with with quantum technologies that it's not we're very close to machines outsmarting us and maybe it just goes ah you know what, the cockroaches of the planet, the real virus, are the humans, let's get rid of them. <laughs> That's the fear yeah. that people have.
0: Yes, well, in uh, you know, the robots are not going to take over humans and destroy all the humans, the robots will be dependent on humans as they are now, uh, and... Uh, it, to a certain extent we have to understand machines are already smarter than humans and they're more reliable than humans and they're more precise than than human beings are i i trust machines more than i trust humans but i'm an evolutionary biologist and i know that humans are driven by a lot of prehistoric drives and instincts
1: yeah
0: right yeah. and and they're not infallible uh whereas you know w- we have to understand that a lot of uh, our decisions are tainted and motivated you know by uh, instincts and drives and agendas we share with the lower animals you know it, it the the frontal cortex which is our ability to reason and and, uh, and analyze data and and uh, postpone gratification and do all these wonderful things that are highly evolved that's only been around for a short period of time—a blink of an eye in, yep. in in the history of the earth. And uh, and while it's a tremendous asset, most of us don't use it all the time, uh, lest we would have uh, fewer spouses cheating and uh, people not chasing, you know, money exclusively. When it's been proven that isn't going to make them all that happy. Um, you know, we, we have the ability to use that frontal cortex, but we seem to be increasingly a society that relies on the assets we share with the lower animals. And that's, that's unfortunate. This is why I feel our great salvation will be artificial intelligence, because uh, as people rely more on machines that make antiseptic decisions, Uh, I think we will be a better society. I wish uh, people in government would rely more on facts uh, Mm -hmm. than on their own personal beliefs. You know, uh, many times I I feel like if they would just do a little bit of research, you know, on Google, (laughs) you know, they would make better policy decisions. Um, But what you see is tribal Mm -hmm. warfare between Democrats and Republicans going on uh, at the expense of, of uh, machines that would not get engaged in tribal warfare. Now, people say, well, what if the machines are wrong? Well, you have to understand that when, uh, when artificial intelligence goes out to look at all of the available data on a particular subject, it is accounting for anomalies, Yes. You know, for the conspiracy theories. It goes, yeah, conspiracy theories, throw those out yeah, that's, that's not an accredited person, you know, that wasn't, that's biased, so on and so forth. And it's filtering all of that out to get down to what the common denominators are. And it's only giving you that common denominator, something that we can't do. You know, we can't go amass all the information on cystic fibrosis, weed out the bad studies, only bring the good studies to you. And then uh, you know, uh, distill them into uh, a conclusion on a therapy. We, we just wouldn't, human beings don't have that capability to do that. And that's why healthcare is getting better and better, right, that's, that's why uh, educators are getting better. Uh, that's why, you know, in, in every single sense, every discipline, we're getting better and better because we're relying on machines that will filter out the bad data.
1: But again, we are, we we know we make the laws, we do all the things that we do as a reactive response to things, and, and humans are, by our nature, very reactive. Um, and you're talking about AI being predictive, and the the challenge with that, uh, for a lot of people, is that they look at what they believe are malevolent forces behind the AI. So the algorithms of um, uh, a, a business that was made uh, on the premise of creating community and bringing people together has created great divide, i.e. Facebook. And so people don't understand that. They don't trust it because those algorithms are making profit for the man and not being ca- not taking care of humanity. So there's a malevolent force there. And that makes people not trust. So it's, there is... We're still back at yeah. uh, the human behind it, and the moral the moral compass of that individual. So well,
0: again, we have to go back to the the kind of the theme of these uh, discussions you and I are having, which is uh ambivalence, yeah. right it's It's not if somebody's making money, then and they and they don't care if they do bad things to make that money. I mean, that's an oversimplification. Uh, I think it's fine for Facebook and Twitter to make money. uh, But at the the same time, they have a moral responsibility. uh, And and they have to step up to that moral responsibility. So again, it's more complicated than, well, they're just evil and social Mm -hmm. media is bad. It's the application of social media, right? Social media is wonderful when there's a mass shooting, right? Suddenly people are tweeting I'm okay you know yep. and and they're they're tweeting police po- vital police information so that the police know where the shooter is and all of that it's wonderful in that circumstance it's terrible when kids uh gang up and bully uh, a, a kid because they have a deformity uh you know all advances in society have a dark side yes. This, this is something that, you know, people are so Pollyanna about. They, they, they seem to think, oh, this is a great invention. And then they discovered the dark side. And they say, now it's terrible. Throw it out. Uh, when Charles Lindbergh flew across the uh, Atlantic Ocean, people don't know that he was the recipient of many peace prizes. Like he was up for the Nobel Peace Prize because they believed that if you could shuttle diplomats across large oceans, they could meet face to face and that this would this would avoid many wars. They yep. weren't imagining we were going to carry an atomic weapon to Japan and kill a lot of uh, thousands of civilians. I, I mean, we weren't thinking we would be weaponized, uh, no. and and now planes would be flying bombs across oceans. So uh, the same with the internet. The internet's done a bunch of wonderful things. I don't know how I would have lived without the internet. Uh, during the COVID-19 lockdown, but we, but without the internet, we wouldn't have identity theft, cyber warfare, uh, pedophiles, uh, you know, contacting young kids. I mean, all of those bad things came with it too. So every time we, we make some progress, whether it's AI or it's robotics, we fall in love, we over romanticize, and then we say, oh, it's really, it's dangerous and terrible. Let's throw the whole thing out. Again, it's this intolerance. It's this binary thinking that we do. It's this inability to say to embrace both things. It is good and bad. It yeah. is progress and it's regression. It's both.
1: Yeah, I, I'm <clears throat> you are definitely singing to the choir because I, I'm so fierce about trying to get people to understand that. Nothing exists in an absolute state. Nothing, even in quantum physics, we understand that nothing exists in an absolute state. Uh, the wave-particle dilemma proved that to us. That's the reality we live in. Uh, the 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 symbol of the I Ching, the the you know the 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 the, the, the black and the white is in both. And and I, this is the challenge. I mean, it's the Jungian psychology of understanding. Uh, the murderer lives in me, as the Buddhists say. That that there is, you know, that I I I am the Godhead and I am the demon. I am all of those things. I being Dove, but I could be Facebook. I could be social media. I could be analytics. And and this is the challenge. Again, I think that I'm a big fan of science. I'm a big fan of research. But I also say, yep, you got to understand there are neurons in your gut. And that warning system is connected to your vagus nerve and your vagus nerve is connected to your brain. And it lets you know, is there a gut response that's before you analyze it or get out? Yes. Should you pay attention? Absolutely. But is every situation threatening? No. (laughs) So it's like, we've got to get that we are, we're not either or, we are the meld of the things. And this is you know, this is why uh, there's a character in Star Trek. I interviewed on here um, one of the artistic creators of Star Trek. And, and we talked about my love of the character development of Spock. Because Spock was half human, half Vulcan. And he was always in that battle between those two sides of himself. But when you look at the history, if you go read the books, you look at the history of the Vulcans, the Vulcans are the people who were the most emotional, the most explosive, who decided they had to rein it in, but they went the other way. And here's Spock who's now this battling with those two sides and I think that that's a lot of who we are and that we if we start looking at each other as that way, we can see and this is my this is my philosophy. I believe that every human being is just trying to feel better. And if you can get that, then that gives you a lot of compassion for what's going on with that person, that they're not trying to shit on you or make you wrong. They're just trying to feel better about themselves. So if I can look at whatever they're doing from that place, I cannot see them as good or as evil but are simply trying to feel better in the the way that they're coping. And it may not be a great way to cope. And I might have judgments about their way of doing it, but I can have the compassion to understand that they're not necessarily evil or they're not necessarily angelic.
0: Well, I think we can make a leap on that by looking at people that are coping through mass violence. Yeah. You know, you look at that and you say, that can't be a coping mechanism. And, and one of the things, you know, tying this back to AI, which is where AI may be very problematic to society, is we're getting to a point where just using the information that's out in the public, we can begin to predict uh, people who are really dangerous, and uh and, and are reaching criticality. Mm-hmm. Uh Steven Paddock, for example, you know, whenever these events happen, we go back over the history yep. of the shooter. But we're now at a point now where we don't need to go backwards. We need to look forward and be able to see reaching that criticality. Steven Paddock, for example, the Las Vegas shooter who shot into this concert crowd. We can see that he sent his uh, wife back to her homeland, sent her $50,000, told her not to come back. He had moved 27 times. He had been put on diazepam three months before. A week before he started buying shooter rounds uh, or or these tracer rounds that are rounds that are used in the evening. He had booked a multiple uh, hotel rooms surrounding the concert area. His father uh, was a... um, sociopath that uh, spent his life in jail. That's a hereditary uh, quality, by the way. Um, And those people should never be put on diazepam. So that combination was never noted. There were about 65 metrics that indicated this man was moving toward criticality. But, But what I have to remind people is that we don't have any way to stop them even if even if our ai models get to the point where we say 99.99999 that this person is going to act out what what would we do our legal system is behind it is trailing behind our knowledge right our knowledge and so it's at the point at which the legal system becomes preventative as opposed to reactive you were talking about we're reactive our legal system is punishing you after you committed the crime right or during the crime but we don't have any legal apparatus for we know with 99.999 certainty you were going to commit a crime and there was a movie done with tom cruise in it called minority, minority report, report. And I have to remind people that wasn't a documentary, but we're there. We're there. Let's let's go to
1: that for a second before we
0: come in and stop somebody just before they were going to commit the crime. And then they would actually go to court and be sentenced. That's what that movie was about.
1: Yeah. So let's go to that, because that was a that was, in my mind, was a moral and ethical movie more than it was a technology movie. Yes. Because the moral. Um, question is, can you punish people for crimes they've not committed, but you predict they will? Um, and is that manipulative as well, as well? Can you manipulate that data? Because that's the other side of this is can data be manipulated? Of course it can. So, but at the same time, it's a way of getting over this reactive and moving into proactive. But what if there was a way to to notice those 65 metrics in this individual who's about to do that, and instead of, you know, punish them and putting them in prison for a crime they've not committed, but to treat them, to give them something, to take care of them as a preventative measure in the predictive analysis, wouldn't that be a better way to do it that would then address the moral issue and remove the threat?
0: It would be a better thing, but I don't see us even getting to that point, because (laughs) for one, we punish addicts when they need treatment. Yeah, that's true. Or two, we threw everybody that needed mental health uh, help out into the streets, as you pointed out, and said, we can't afford to, you know, put them up for life. So, you know, if you start to talk about they haven't committed a crime yet. They haven't done anything yet. And now we want to offer them mental health. I think they're standing behind the other two groups uh, in a rather long line of people that need mental health. Never mind the people that lost their jobs due to COVID. Uh, never mind teenagers right now that where suicide is on the march. So uh, I, I don't think we have the mental health attitude or facilities or wherewithal to, to do that. But there is a bigger problem. And that is that even if Stephen Paddock had gone in that room with all those guns, loaded them up, broken the window and pointed the gun at the concert goers, we believe that at the last minute, he could have changed his mind. We believe in free will. Right. This is a country, all democracies believe in free will. And we believe that he could have taken his gun, put it back in the case and said, I'm not going to do that and gone home. Mm-hmm. And because we hang on to free will, AI has no place for free will. AI mm-hmm. is simply taking data and saying, this with this percentage is the likely outcome. That is all it can do. Right. It cannot account for a person to change their mind. It can only say, highly
1: unlikely right it's fascinating it's a fascinating subject and again we could have just on that piece alone we could spend a whole other show unfortunately though we are at the end of the show it's been a delicious delicious episode thank you so much for everything that you've shared um it is deeply insightful i really want to uh, encourage people to Go find your books, read your books, watch your videos, go online, search you out. Again, RebeccaCosta.com. You can find it there. Of course, we'll post all of the links into the show notes. Is there any sort of final message you want to leave our listeners, our viewers with Rebecca um, that will allow them to take what you've shared and make it applicable or practical to them today, right now?
0: Yes. And I first have to say, you're not paying me to say this, but I do think listeners, if you're listening to me and you have enjoyed what I've had to say, please continue to listen to Curiosity Bites because it's not just an addictive habit. It's one of the few venues where information like this is allowed to get out.
1: Thank you. That was very kind. Thank you very much. I sincerely appreciate that. Rebecca, I hope you'll stay with us to the very end. And thank you to you, dear listener, for tuning in and for watching the show. Uh, As you know, we are committed to bringing together the people who will have you think beyond what it is that you already know and expand your mind, expand your consciousness, expand your heart, expand your soul, expand consciousness as a community so that we can be better humans living in a better world. Till so next time, stay curious, my friends, stay curious. My name is Dov Barron. You can find out more about me at dovbaron.com. And please, we need all your help, as Rebecca just said, in keeping the show relevant. So please go over to wherever you tune into the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And please share the show with everybody you know. So next time, this is Dov Barron saying, stay curious, my friends, stay curious. And I am out.